Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Schnapp, a.k.a. the Serene Home Nursing Agency podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Condon. Schnapp is here to explore the inner workings of the American healthcare system. We want to educate and inspire our listeners by diving into the minds of healthcare professionals and people with extraordinary stories. Every call you have to handle with care. The reason why 99% of us do it is never going to be for the pay because we don't get paid a lot. But we do it because we love what we do and we love taking care of these people. And the compassion will always be there. Today, we have a guest that I am really excited to speak to. Her name is Lisa Anderson. Lisa has been a paramedic for 25 years. We will discuss the schooling and training to be a paramedic, how she deals with the stress of the job, and some intense experiences she's had in her 25 years. I hope you guys enjoy. Lisa, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So, like I said, um, Lisa, you've been an EMT for 25 years, you said? Yeah, I'm on my 25th year of being a paramedic. Okay, so what made you choose this line of work? Because obviously, people for people who know what an EMT is, it, there's a lot that goes into this job, like mentally, physically. So I just want to know what, what made you choose this line of work? I was born and raised in the fire department. It's the only thing I really know anymore. You're, is that like a family type of thing, family business? Well, not business, but you know. Well, not a family business. It's a volunteer fire department. Um, my father and my grandfather were in it. My father's still in it. My brother's in it. Um, they do the fire end, and I do the EMS end. My sister does it. So it's just, it's, we were raised going to the fire department as we grew up. And you know, I joined the fire department when I was 18 years old and became an EMT. And then I advanced from there all the way up to a paramedic. So can you describe to me what the difference of an EMT and a paramedic are? EMT is a basic life support. So they basically give oxygen and they can assist the patient with certain medications that the patient takes. A paramedic does pretty much the same thing as a doctor can do in the ER excluding surgery, chest tubes, writing prescriptions. Like we do IVs, we intubate people, we give medications, we can um, do a, like a cricoid trach. If somebody's airway is closed up, we can cut open their throat to get an airway in. That's the difference between the two. And, and schooling. And yeah, the- that, that was my next question for you. So clearly there's like a, a pretty pretty large gap between being an EMT and a paramedic. You're able to do a lot more as a paramedic. So like, what is the difference in schooling in regards to that? The EMTs go to school about six months to eight months, depending on how many days a week they do. Uh, Paramedics have to go to school in for just about a year, but it's five days a week and that's not counting the rotations. Okay. I actually read something and I don't know how accurate these numbers are, so don't quote me, but I heard that about only 50% 50 or less of people typically make it past the test to be an EMT or a paramedic. So like, how was the schooling for that when you were going through it? Was it really difficult? So the school in itself is not a bad thing. The state exam is horrible. They cover a lot of book knowledge and being on an ambulance. It's not about being book smart. It's about being hands-on. You have to be able to do pretty much both. I'm not a very big book smart person. So big words and technology things I 
can't even begin to tell you what a doctor knows. But I can tell you what's going on with a patient. I can deal with every situation that I've ever been in. But being very hands-on is the biggest key of being in the ambulance. You're never in a stable situation until you get in the hospital. Yeah, so going off of that, obviously... You're never in a stable situation, uh, like physically, you have to be hands-on, you have to be able to assess your patient accordingly, because a lot of them might not have a lot of time to live, uh, given the situation. I wanted to ask, like, during that training, you said that that it's a lot of reading books and learning, like, test-wise, basically, but during this training, do they teach you ways to, like, cope with maybe, like, the loss of a patient or, like, what you'd have to deal with, like, mentally in regards to trauma? They do to an extent, but that's not something you can be trained. It's really not. It's something that you learn and you figure out because each person is different on how they cope with everything. You know, some people like, you know what, this is not for me. Even after going through all the training and everything else, they just, they can't handle it. And some people, they learn to cope with it, you know. Even me doing 25 years, there's not much that really will affect me anymore unless it's pediatrics. Um, Pediatrics is something that none of us, no matter how many years training or doing it, you have, you will never be able to just deal with the whole pediatric end of it. And I'm not talking about, you know, the little kid that's got croup or the little kid that fell and broke his arm. I'm talking about the traumatic stuff with children, you know, when, you know, SIDS and, um, you know, I went on a call with an infant that was in cardiac arrest because the mother was breastfeeding in the middle of the night and she rolled over on top of the baby and because she fell asleep and she suffocated the baby. You know, those things you just never get over. You'll never forget, but you do figure out how to move on and go on and go through it. Yes. Yeah. I never even thought of like the pediatric side of that. See, like I, I was thinking as a whole that like it's just difficult to deal with these situations, but it seems like like what you're saying, the hardest part for you still and will always be with pediatric cases. Yeah. But how long into your career would you say that you were able to like remain calm in a situation and like be, be, basically like be able to assess it properly without like putting too much emotion into it, like bef- like during the process and after it mentally? Um. I can't say I ever did. Like you're always, your emotions are always going to be involved. I stay very calm and collective on a call on the outside, but, and most of us do, but we don't, you know, inside we're always worried if we're making the right decision, because unfortunately these people's lives are in our hands. And no matter how many times I do the same exact call over and over again, it doesn't mean that that patient's going to have the same outcome as anybody else. So you always have to be on your toes. And, you know, anytime we go on a call, it's not always what it's going to be. You know, when you get a 911 call that comes over for injuries from a full call, it doesn't mean that we're not walking into a cardiac arrest or, you know, something similar to that or a victim of violence or, you know, somebody else that's, you know, suicidal or something. Every call you have to handle with care um, and be very cautious with. And the moment I lose my emotions towards this or anybody else that's not, their emotions aren't in it, 
is the moment we all have to hand up our our stethoscope, basically, because then we shouldn't be doing it. Because the reason why 99% of us do it is never going to be for the pay because we don't get paid a lot. But we do it because we love what we do and we love taking care of these people. And the, the, the compassion will always be there. So my emotions will never not be there. Yeah, that's that's tough to deal with because like that's why I was very I was very excited to have this interview and have this talk with you because like it's kind of something that I've never experienced I've obviously never experienced it. I've never been in that line of work so like it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that like you're able to stay mentally stable and strong enough to assess the situation properly like I was saying before and do what needs to be done in order to keep your patient alive and like see that they get to the hospital on time afterwards um after the call when our adrenaline comes down is when we mentally check everything afterwards you know when we're going on a call our adrenaline is going uh, you know so we're set in our ways and we concentrate on the situation and not what our emotions are for say does that make a little sense mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of like leads into my next question. I, I kind of already asked it, but not from a training aspect, but after that, when your adrenaline comes down, like if you were, if you were to have a, a high priority, like pediatric uh, situation happen and your adrenaline comes down and now you're, that's kind of like hitting you mentally. Do they offer some type of like outlet for you to like, basically, like, I don't know, like therapy or something to assess like how like you're feeling after that? Yeah, they have like Suffolk County, I know, has a team of people that after like a really bad motor vehicle accident or like a fire that somebody wound up dying inside of, you know, something, anything traumatic that affects us on on the other side, they have a team that will come in and sit down and talk with us. Mm -hmm. And do you find that that helps a lot or is it still like kind of difficult depending on the situation, because I know you've probably seen a lot. Yeah, it helps, but it helps to start, you know, the transition of coping with it. But just like anything else um, in life, same thing with you, you know, what happens when you lose a family member, you know, you learn to cope with it. And that's the same thing we do. Unfortunately, it hits us a lot harder because it's, you know, it's one call after another, after another, but we learn to deal with it and we learn to cope with it. And, you know, a lot of people think that we're messed up because we'll joke about a situation that's not, you know, what you would think is funny or a jokeable matter. It's not that we think it either. It's just that that's how we learn to cope with things. You know, we turn a bad situation into a good situation by learning to cope with it as a joke. And, you know, we get through it because, you know what, the next day we're still going to have to go and do the same exact thing all over again, you know, and sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's not. Yeah, and I can understand that. I feel like that is like a pretty, uh, I don't know, a better word than popular coping mechanism than to like make light of a situation when like times are essentially dark. So like I can understand that. I was wondering that after you, like you said, if there was a bad crash scene and you had like um, a a very damaged or even someone who passed away individual and you're going through that mentally, 
after that call, if you're still on the clock for another six or seven hours, are you expected to go into another call if need be? Or is there like a leeway of time? Like do they sometimes, depending on the situation, let you like take time off? It really depends on the situation. Um, if it's a bad enough call, they'll pull us from the, the job period mm-hmm. um, and they'll deal with the dead ends. But um, it, And it really depends on the crew. You know, because some people don't like talking. Some of us don't like talking to people. You know, we deal with it in our own way. We've been doing it for so long that something that bothers me might not bother you or vice versa. So it just, it really depends on the individual call. You know, if we get something severe, like at my job, and it's, you know, crucial enough, our bosses will actually pull us, period. And they'll have another crew cover us. Yeah, because I feel like that could just be so strenuous. And the reason I ask that is because if you have that high priority case, as I keep saying, you're mentally and physically expending so much energy trying to keep these people alive. And then, like you said, when the adrenaline comes down is when it finally hits you. And I was wondering, basically, in terms of efficiency of handling another patient afterwards, so, like, do you think that that's why that they would pull you sometimes to make sure that, like, you're not going on a call still thinking about the last call because they want you to be able to assess the situation properly? Um, it has a little bit of to do with that, but they get more concerned with our mental health, yeah. uh, our mental well-being. To, you know, unfortunately, especially, like, during this whole pandemic thing, the suicide rate in EMS had gone up significantly so it just they they more worry about our mental health if it's a newer person it's a different story because a lot of newer people can't go from one job one critical job to a different job but most of these senior people we've done a lot so that's why i said it really just depends on the individual person and or crew yeah, you, you happened to mention the pandemic, which was actually something I was a little bit curious about. Um, your calls, the percentage of calls must have like risen exponentially during like the peak of the pandemic. Can you kind of like elaborate on that and touch on that? Just like let me and the listeners know like wh- how that was. Our calls skyrocketed and a lot of people, you know, it's a it's a touchy subject, but a lot and this is literally just my opinion. A lot of people have judgment on the fact that, you know, we had a lot of more deaths than we should have because people were being intubated too fast, you know, when they were going on the ventilator to breathe, you know, and one of my cousins was the same way. She said the same thing. And, you know, I do a lot of interfacility from hospital to hospital, and I also do 911. But you know, the problem is that unless you're in the situation that people don't realize that, you know, driving from Greenport all the way up to the middle of Ireland with a patient that's in respiratory distress, you can only watch it for so long as somebody struggles. And on top of that, you can only watch it for so long before the patient finally does stop breathing of struggling for so long, somebody that's in respiratory distress is not that they're not capable of keeping their airway going because their body gets exhausted. And this was what was happening with a lot of um, the pandemic calls. People were waiting at home until they were so bad and they were in respiratory distress 
And the only options we did have was to intubate them so they have a fighting chance. So, yeah, our polls went up significantly, and they still are high. Anybody, people get scared, you know, especially like the elderly community, to the point that we had to start, you know, making decisions on, you know, we'd go on an ambulance call for a respiratory call, and the patient is perfectly fine. And we're like, you can't go to the hospital. Like, it was just too much. There was too many people going to the hospital for the smallest little signs of the coronavirus. And it just, it became, it became tiring mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, It was just exhausting. And it still is. It still is because it's still out there. It's still active. There's people that are still getting the coronavirus. You know, it's just not as talked about anymore. Do you think that this is like the most hectic your job has been? Because like you said, you've been doing this for a long time now about this is your 25th year. Do you think that like during this pandemic, that was like the most hectic like time that you've done this? Yeah, this is the first 25 years that I ever didn't want to be a paramedic or in the field or health field in general, because I've been in the health field since I was 16 years old. I started in the health field as a bath girl in a nursing home. And I've worked my way through, you know, working in a hospital as an aide in the ER and then doing a monitor tech as watching heart monitors. You know, so I've been in the field since I was 16, but I've been doing EMS since I was 18 years old. And this was the first time I ever said I did not want to be a paramedic anymore. Really? What what made you want to stay essentially then? Because like that obviously is really tough on you. And like you're saying that the number of calls went up and I would imagine like and correct me if I'm wrong. And you also don't have to answer this, but like the amount of deaths that probably happened increased as well. Correct. Yeah, it it definitely did increase. And, you know, unfortunately, when we were going on calls and the patient was in cardiac arrest, you know, after working on them at home we weren't transporting them to the hospital if they didn't have a good success of coming back um so it was it was very heart-wrenching on us um why i stayed because i love what i do and you know it's just this is just gonna be another thing in you know, that's going to sit in the back of our heads, but we'll get through it, you know, and we have good support teams, no matter if it's my family, my boyfriend, um, my coworkers, you know, we all stick together and we really have a great support team. And no matter how much, you know, we're like siblings, we'll all fight with each other until, you know, we need each other and we're always there and, you know, we get through it. We really do. And if this is going to knock me out, then, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have been here for the long haul, but I am. And I, I, I enjoy what I do. And I know I make different, a difference in my life, not only in these people's lives, you know, because every person that we, we touch and talk to, um, they make a difference in our life. They teach us something just as much as we help them. They help us. So, and I'm not ready to give that up. Yeah. And I feel like we're focusing like a lot on the negative now. So like, I apologize for that. Cause I know it's probably difficult to talk about, but we're not really talking about the positive effect that you guys have, like you and your team, like you guys say your siblings, I'm sure you, you operate with the same team all the time. Correct. Yeah. 
All right. So like you and your team have probably also saved countless lives that if you guys weren't there, like there, there wouldn't have been a possibility for them to survive. So like we're focusing so much on the negative aspect of it, but I'm sure that you're also able to sleep at night knowing that like today you had a call that you saved someone's life and you were able to get there just in time. Correct. Um, There's a lot of them, you know, in 25 years, I have numerous lifesaver awards. And again, we don't do it for the awards or the reward of it, you know, and it is a reward because it makes me a happy person that I know I made a difference in somebody's life, no matter if it's actually physically saving their life or just being there as an emotional support for that transport and comforting them and calming them down for whatever reason they are being transported to the hospital, them and or their family. So, you know, because it's not just always about the patient. A lot of it has to do with family also. Yeah, and I feel like that is probably like the sole thing why you say you love this job and like you love doing it because like you really do at the end of the day like feel like you're actually making a difference and helping these people. So like as far as coping with the negatives, I feel like looking at the positives actually helps balance it out and makes the job a little better and like what you do like basically gives it meaning. You know, we deliver babies. Like it's the happiest thing. It's mm-hmm. the messiest yeah. World, but it's (laughs) you know, yeah. How many people on a normal basis can say that they delivered babies? You know, one baby, ten babies, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a lot of people can't say they've done it, and you know, I we do it in the fields. We, you know, we're trained in the field where doctors are trained and nurses are trained in the hospital. We're trained to do things, and you know, in very awkward situations, awkward positions, houses, cars, you know, it's never, it's never a stable situation, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's what we love and it's what we do. And we do a lot of training for it. Yeah. That, what you just said kind of made me think, um, because you also said earlier about how you have to drive from Greenport to Middle Island. And like, that's not an easy commute. And like for anyone who does live on Long Island that's listening, like the traffic could be pretty, like pretty crazy out here. So I was wondering, like, is there a correlation to like how much traffic is on Long Island? And like, cause I, I often hear that like for a paramedic, the hardest part is actually getting to the scene on time, not only arriving to the scene on time, but then transporting your victim or not victim, but or your patient to the hospital. So like, does the traffic on Long Island like affect that? Oh, big time, big time. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know what happened with people anymore, but you know, when I first started this, when you saw a blue light on a person's car, personal car, you know, you knew to get out of the way because they yeah. were going to a fire department or straight to the scene. When you saw lights and sirens, you moved out of the way. Now, People don't get out of the way for an ambulance at all. Like you can sit behind them wailing on the horn, the air horn, the sirens with the lights go in and they just completely ignore you, you know, and it's hard to go anywhere, especially if there is traffic. But yeah, people don't get out of our ways anymore for us. I mean, not even the fire trucks. They don't get out of the way for the fire trucks either. So I don't I don't know what happened with people anymore. But yeah, people don't get out of the way. That has to be single-handedly probably the most selfish thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Like you won't 
That it's just, it's crazy to me because when I was a kid, like before years before I was able to drive, when an ambulance would come up, like I remember, I like actually have specific memories of my mother and my father on different occasions saying, like, if an ambulance is behind you, you pull over to the side of the road, like give them a a lane to get to the scene that they're going to, and I think that's actually insane that you're saying a lot of times during traffic on the way on people won't move even though you're wailing on the horn like you said they they just don't have any care for the person's life that you're either trying to get to or trying to transport to the hospital that's that's actually pretty insane it's probably the most aggravating part of our job you know because the more the sirens go the less we hear in the back because unfortunately the sirens we we hear them in the back of the ambulance you know so on top of the fact that you get those people that do pull over and then they chase the ambulance so they can get through all the traffic and the lights and everything else. Now you got to worry. We have to worry about, you know, now not only are we worried about ourselves and the patient, we have to worry about causing an accident. And now we have this idiot that's following, chasing right behind us that is now also putting even more of a risk of causing an accident. Yeah. And not to mention, well, like you said, an accident, like you're, you're flying through traffic. And then if there's another individual who doesn't move out of your way, now you have to worry about this guy rear-ending the, the ambulance and then putting your lives and the patient's life at risk. So like that's, people are just, it, it does amaze me as well. Um, I'm pretty young. So I'm 25. I've never, I don't know how it was years ago. Like you said, like people would do it, like move out of the way and do things. But like, it, it's upsetting to me that people would like, are just that selfish and not like trying to really um, understand the situation that's at hand and saying like, yeah. okay, there's someone's life that they're trying to save in this. Like, and I'm trying to cut through traffic behind them. Like, it's just not smart and it's not responsible. So like, no, it's definitely not. And it's not safe it's yeah. at all because we slam on our brakes very easily and very fast and very quick, you know, and most of us, you know, we're standing up in the back of the ambulance. We're not seatbelted in, Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a simple call, but, you know, if it's a cardiac arrest and we can't be seatbelted into a seat and doing CPR at the same time or bagging a patient or giving drugs or whatever we have to do for that patient, we don't stay on scene, you know, because the patient, ultimately, the patient doesn't need us. They need surgery and or something that the hospital has. We are a temporary fix. It's like put, we're putting a Band-Aid on something that needs something bigger, but we're stabilizing them enough to get them to the hospital. So we're never sitting still in the back of that ambulance with that patient. The patient might be strapped down and everything else, and they're locked into a stretcher, and the stretcher's locked into the ambulance. But And I've been into accidents with these ambulances. We get tossed, and it's not, it's not a safe situation for us. But, you know, the people make it worse for us. Yeah. And that's pretty interesting that you're you're saying that because now my mind's kind of going to somewhere else when you're talking about standing up and having to operate on this patient or help this patient stay alive. And you're just you're mobile. So you're moving around. You're not you're not stationary. Like, does that does the motion aspect of being in the back of an ambulance like does that make it so much more difficult? It does to an extent. Um, You get used to it, though. You know, like starting IVs for me is easier to do in a moving ambulance than it is sitting still. And I can do it both ways, but I'm, you know, doing it for so long. 
So you load and go with the patient and you, you do everything in route. You learn to adjust. And I got so used to doing IVs and the moving ambulance bouncing around, you know, but nowadays with these roads, the way they are, oh my God, they're horrible. And ambulances, you feel every tiny little bump. So it makes it, it, it definitely makes it difficult, especially when the patient is riding backwards. So they get motion sickness. So it's just, it's a lot into it. Yeah. And I agree that the roads on Long Island right now are actually the worst that I've ever seen them in my life. Like there are so many potholes and just having that motion and then slamming a pothole on the way to the the hospital definitely can't make it easy. But it's pretty interesting to me that you're saying you're actually better in motion putting an IV in a patient than being stationary. That's that's interesting to think about. I'm thinking of like when you're standing up on the subway and it makes a stop without you paying attention. Like that probably happens a lot. You probably like slam into the truck and then have to like keep going. Like that's, that's really crazy that you have to deal with things like that and like keep on the move to keep this patient alive. So the subway is like being in the back of an ambulance. It's very similar to it. It's just without the bumps, you know, that stopping and going with the jerkin. We deal with that on a daily basis because of the traffic. You know, you never know when they're going to slam on their brakes. So we have to be ready at all times. Okay. So, and the original question that I asked you was uh, basically like, does it, is the traffic such a hard part about the job and like getting to the, the scene on time? So how often is that like detrimental to the life of the patient? Do you say like more often than not? Yeah, it does put a um, slower response time onto us. So anything critical, um, it definitely affects the patient in the long run, no matter if it's a cardiac arrest or a stroke, you know, like strokes, their brain, it's time. It's a time thing that they have a certain window to get treatment. That's going to help them um, with these problem. And if we don't get them to the hospital and into the OR in enough time, you know, that, that's a problem. Yeah. And I'm sure that like going along with like the, basically the mental aspect of it, like we were talking about before that, like, it's probably really tough to dip, to deal with trying to drive through traffic to get to a hospital and then losing a patient and just like thinking like, wow, we could have, we could have basically saved this patient's life if we could have just got through traffic 10 minutes earlier. Yeah. It definitely does make a very big difference. I'm sorry that that's part of the job and like that's something you have to go through because like I couldn't imagine like just like thinking of that like damn we could have really made a difference if we uh if we just got there a couple minutes earlier because like the traffic on Long Island is insane like I'm late to work a lot because of that so I couldn't imagine being late to a hospital with a patient in the truck it's definitely not easy I leave probably two hours early for work because of the traffic Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I I have to come out to the city to actually come to the podcast studio that I'm at today. I, I live in Suffolk, so I have to usually get here early, leave like two hours early to make sure that I'm on time for the appointment. So like I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't imagine having to fit that into such a high stress scenario trying to save a patient's life. Like that's pretty crazy that that's something that you had to go through. And I'm sure that there's other states where paramedics don't have that factor as much but like here on Long Island there's seven million people and you guys like you said with the pandemic we're getting calls left and right and having to 
go to a patient's house and realizing that they're not even in basically bad enough condition to go to the hospital and then you're shooting over to another person's house that might actually have to go to the hospital and then traffic comes into play. So like there's so many different aspects of it that are just pretty like incredible that you guys have to deal with because it's just it's a lot. Like I said, it's a high stress scenario. Most volunteer fire departments and ambulance corps as well, we, they're paid around the clock, at least one person as a paramedic, as a first responder. So this way, you know, at least you're getting patient care right away, you know, and not waiting for an ambulance crew to come in because Suffolk County is still volunteers. You know, people mm-hmm. don't realize that all of Suffolk County is still volunteer system, you know, so people, they, they take, like I do Mondays at my fire department and it's, I volunteer my time and I will never stop volunteering my time until, um, you know, they take it away. But, um, so I do it for a living and I also do a volunteer and Mondays, you know, I sit at my firehouse until like 11 o'clock at night. And then I go to my mom's with the first responder car because, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, the traffic's not so bad. So I don't have to worry about trying to get through traffic. Mm -hmm. So, so part of the time that like you're on the clock is paid and then part of it like is just volunteer strictly. Correct. Oh, that's pretty crazy. So like you, (laughs) that, that shows that you truly do it because it's something that you enjoy and love to do and like love helping these people because like part of the time you're just doing it for free. Yeah. I work for, I work as a paramedic. So I have a full-time job as a paramedic and then I work for a fire department and let's corp two different ones as per diem jobs. So when I'm available, I pick up shifts when I can and then I volunteer. Wow. That's well, Honestly, like, thank you for your service and doing that for the community because that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Because you had mentioned before that even when you are getting paid, you're not getting paid a significant amount. And no. for the, the, like I said, the situations that you deal with are just high stress and then like mentally dealing with it afterwards. Like there's so much that goes into it and you're literally saving people's lives. So like not only are you when you're on the clock saying that the pay isn't essentially enough for what you're dealing with but a lot of time you're not even on on payroll basically you're doing it just out of like the goodness of your heart so like that's honestly like a beautiful thing to hear like thank you for that new york state doesn't consider what we do as a career so we don't get paid a lot i mean we get we get paid but we don't get paid what we should be getting paid like we are so much less than a nurse makes and our job is a lot more crucial than a nurse's job and not that nurse's jobs. Cause I can never do a nurse's job and I will never degrade a nurse, but I can't, I'm not the type of person to be trapped inside a building and uh, be with the same exact patient day in and day out. You know, I like the fast pace. I like the not knowing what calls we're going into, what calls we're not going into. You know, I like that stuff. You know, every call is different. It's not the same patient every single day. You know, but we do this stuff in somebody's house, in the middle of a car, on the side of a street, in a building. You know, it's not, it's never 
the same situation and they're not in a hospital bed, you know, we have to figure out how to get a patient out of a bathroom, you know, or out of a hole that they fell through the, the, the road, the ground, you know, it's not ever a situation that is simple. Yeah. And I, I'm sure, well, that definitely goes based off basically the um, individual. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of nurses who are like, I can never be a, an EMT or a paramedic. And then you're saying that you'd actually feel more comfortable in a situation that's more hectic. I guess like being in that line of work for so long has just like molded you into that type of person where like, you wouldn't want to be in such a stable hospital room caring for the same patient for two or three weeks every single day. You'd rather actually embrace that like uh, sort of like chaos that, that that goes on within your job, like that you have to basically learn how to control. So that's pretty crazy that with your experience that you've had, you actually feel more comfortable in that in that situation. Yeah, I, I like the the excitement i like mm-hmm. the um you know we're always on the go and you know i've had to start an iv on a patient that fell down a spiral staircase laying on my back because they were upside down and i can't move them by myself so i had to lay on my back and start an iv on the patient upside down you know it, it's not those situations you know you, you don't always get to be in and it's just it's interesting and it's exciting and you know um you make it like i said you make a difference in somebody's life and as much as they make a difference in ours my mind's racing a little bit because i i'm hearing you give me like bits and pieces of basically different experiences that you've had and like since you've been on the job for 20 this year 25th year now i i'm kind of like wondering is there any experience that you've had or like a specific patient in mind that like sticks out to you over the years, like something crazy that might've happened that like you just always think about, or like your mind always comes back to. Cause like, I'm curious, you, you've gone through a lot, like, like you're saying a lot of basically snippets of crazy things that you've experienced while being in the back of the ambulance, helping your patients. So is there any like specific patient or like scenario that sticks out in your head? If there's like one or two things that, that usually come back to. There's a lot of them, you know, and you learn from each patient, each call. You know, I had a motor vehicle accident. You know, there was three fire departments working to cut these patients out of the car. You know, we we can't do nothing until those patients get out. You know, we can try to climb in, but, you know, depending on the situation of the car, depends on if it's safe enough for us to even do anything. You know, but this car, you know, hit another car. The engine wound up probably about a good 200 feet from where the car was. You know, it was a bad situation. The patient, there was two people trapped in a vehicle, you know, and I mean, unfortunately, both of them passed away. But, you know, um, it's all about time. It's, you know, we can only do so much. So, you know, we usually try to break out like the windshield and work there while you know the fire department's trying to cut the people out you know because at least we're starting patient care and we're getting the they're stabilized you know because we got to stabilize their spinal column and their neck and you know so it's a lot into it before we can even get these people out of the car so but we had a motor vehicle accident over by the mall that was a it was a bad accident and we wound up having 
that goes to what you said earlier about, you know, people coming and talking with us. And we had the team come in that night and it was, you know, by the time we got back from the call and cleaned the ambulance and everything else, it was almost 12 o'clock at night. And these people came to the firehouse and, you know, you sit as a group and, you know, you can sit individually with these people and they came down and they talk with us and um, they help us, um, cope with the situation and teach us different methods of learning how to cope with it yeah like that goes basically off of like what we were saying earlier about like if they have an outlet for you to basically do that and i find that that's like a little obviously it can't fix the situation completely but i find that comforting that you actually have that outlet to go to after being on a scene like that because like we've had like for example I had a um a guest on here who was a therapist and basically like we came down to the conclusion or like something that he already knew but like it's just good to talk about things Correct. like when you're when you deal with trauma or you're dealing with anything in your life that upsets you or brings like stress or anxiety like just speaking about them and talking about them actually helps so it's pretty like I said, comforting knowing that after a scene like that, you actually have that outlet to go to. And do you, do you find, like you said, for different people dealing with it differently, like personally, do you think that that helps you? Um, to an extent, it helps. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more of a comfort person that talks to, so I'm not, I and I know the people that do the thing, but I'm more of a comfort person that I'd rather talk to somebody that I'm close to. Mm-hmm. that understands and comprehends what I've gone through and that stuff more than talking to somebody that wasn't even on the scene, you know, and then doesn't know because you can explain the situation to somebody, but unless you're on the scene, you, you, you're not going to know and you're not going to understand what is going through our heads or anything else like that. Yeah. Unless you've lived it, it's hard to actually comprehend like the, the weight of the situation and like you're saying that you you like to talk to people who have done that so like do you find yourself and like your team coming together and helping each other cope with situations like that yeah we always do i mean fire ems it doesn't matter we're always there to support each other and we're usually you know in 25 years i think i've talked to the team that suffolk county sends out maybe three times and i've done a lot of you know critical calls but i just chose not to talk to them because i'd rather talk with my own crew and get through it that way Mm -hmm. you know my father he's been in it for you know over 40 years i you know he's got a lot of experience um and he's not active anymore he's, he's a paramedic as well or he was a paramedic he was an emt what they call back then an emtcc which is mm-hmm. critical care. It's, uh, it was, they, they got rid of it uh, two years ago, but it was a step between an EMT and a paramedic. So mm-hmm. you can do for the most part, anything a paramedic does, but you get to a certain level and have to call a doctor for orders. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, he's, he's an ex chief of the fire department. So, you know, he, he's been on a lot of bad calls. So, you know, talking to somebody like that, that's more senior, that has been through, you know, situations, it makes it a lot easier because you feel more comfortable with these people too, because you, you're around them day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, I feel like that's your unique situation. Whereas like your whole family's done it. So like, you actually have a lot of people close to you that you could use as that outlet to basically cope with these situations and learn how to deal with them. So like, 
I feel like in a sense that like you're very lucky, but you're also lucky and your team's lucky that you guys like have each other. Um, you said that like they're basically like your siblings. So yeah. how long have you been working with the same crew? Like do you guys usually like how often are members of your team like substituted out or have you been with the same team for quite some time now? Well, volunteer wise, we always have new people with us, but mm-hmm. people that are the older crews that are there, I've been with them since I was a kid. You know, like I grew up with a lot of these people and, you know, their parents they were in the fire department that I knew when I was in diapers and, you know, mm-hmm. and so forth. I used to change some of these kids' diapers that are in the fire department. You know, it's very, you yeah. know, family oriented. My mind always goes back to uh, like I, I grew up an athlete. So like I'm really big on any type of situation, whether it's a family situation, a relationship, or a job or whatever. I, I like to think of things as a team. Just that's because like how that's just how I was raised. I, I was on a lot of different teams growing up. And now I feel as if we the company that I work for, Serene Home Nursing Agency, that funds the podcast we have a slogan saying the serene teams here for you. So like we, I look at a lot of different things in my life as like a team aspect and you've been with your team for a long time and in sports and in life in general, the more that you work together, the better basically you learn to work with each other and understand that how the other person works and how they operate. So like that has probably that like it's probably synchronized the way that you guys work together and help save patients' lives. Like it's probably way easier to get the job done with the people that you say you've been with for years as opposed to the volunteers that switch in and out, right? Correct. Like even some of the volunteers, you know, because I've worked with them for so long, there's calls that I go on that they have the stuff ready for me before I even ask for it. You know, because we get so used to being with each other that um, they know before I even ask. And, you know, it makes my job easier and it makes it easier for the patient because now I'm not waiting for somebody to get me something or I'm not the patient's not waiting for me to set it up. Yeah. they Your teammates just know what to do without being spoken. Correct. Yeah. And that's like that synchronicity that I was explaining. Like you guys synchronize in a way that like. It's not like hand me that like they already know what to hand you. You already know what they need. Like everything works more efficiently because you guys have been a team for so long. And like, like I said, being someone who just automatically my brain goes to like teamwork and being a team like that. That's like another thing that's comforting to me that. And would you say that a lot of the a lot of the teams that are operating ambulances are, are like that or that closely knit. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, that's, that's very comforting to me knowing that if I were in a situation where I needed to be transported to a hospital by an ambulance, that I would basically have this, this closely knit team working together as opposed to a bunch of individuals who didn't really know each other. Yeah, no, we all pretty much work together. Like on Mondays when I volunteer, I have the same crew every Monday that I ride with. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, I know what I can depend and transfer a patient onto a uh, transfer a patient to the EMT. If they don't need advanced life support compared to if I have to ride with the patient. Mm-hmm. So 
basically going off that and everything that we've spoken about today, um, I usually like to end my interviews with this question because I have a lot of different people from different backgrounds. Like this is a healthcare podcast. So I have a lot of different individuals from different professions within the healthcare industry. And I like to ask this question a lot because you've, you've personally had 25 years of experience. You've been through a lot. You've been through the schooling, the, the trauma and all these different things that you've had that the job comes along with. So like the next question, the final question I'd like to ask you is if as an EMT or paramedic, like is there, if someone wanted to become one of these things and care for patients and be working in these these traumatic and hectic situations. Is there any advice you'd have for them for becoming a paramedic? Um, if you if they want to do EMS, you have to have the passion for it. If they're mm-hmm. gonna get into it because they think it's money, it's not. Um, I would definitely try volunteering and learning because volunteering is one of the best things that I, that's what got me going where I am now is the volunteer system. So, and I enjoy every bit of volunteering. Um, It it just gives you a satisfaction, you know, the fact that you you're helping somebody and it's a great thing. Um, And anybody can put their mind to it as long as they have the right training the right training you know that's the biggest Mm -hmm. thing but if you're going to become an emt you might as well keep going and work up to a paramedic because it is just it's better off to just continue to go and not just stop yeah and i like that you mentioned like you having the passion for it and I, i basically what you're saying about like the volunteering is that it's kind of like a test run basically correct yeah which is a good way to put it um and i like that you said that you have to have the passion because something and like i I mentioned i feel like i mentioned this every episode but i always have these different individuals from different backgrounds doing different jobs in healthcare, and they all we kind of always come back to the same theme that you have to have the passion especially in this industry out of every every industry i believe like you have to have a passion for actually helping and doing the job so like you can't be in it for money. You have to actually be able to want to help your patients. And I love that this is such a common theme because it just shows how basically amazing the healthcare system is because people truly love what they do when they're doing it. And you're not doing it for the money. You said earlier, half the time you're not even on the clock, you're volunteering. So I think it's great advice that you suggest volunteering before like making it their their final career because they basically get a test run to know that they're cut out for this or that this is something that they actually want to do for the rest of their life because it is it is a very it's a deep job there's there's a lot of different things that go into it and there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of things you have to deal with and like i said i don't like to focus on just the negatives there's a lot of beautiful things like you said you deliver babies so like there's a lot of different things that go into it both positive and negative but at the end of the day you have to love what you're doing in order to be able to basically successfully do this job I'm glad I got to interview you today because, like I said, it's such a common theme going back to that. So this is just yet another individual that I've interacted with in the healthcare system that just loves what they do. So that basically wraps up the interview. And I'd like to just thank you for being on the show today because you've you've showed us a lot of different things about being a paramedic and being in those situations. So the listeners are going to get a very good um basically gist of what it's like to be in that situation and be working as the career that you chose so lisa thank you very much for coming on the show today thank you for having me 
Thank you for listening to The Schnapp. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and YouTube at The Schnapp. That's the S-H-N-A-P. This is your host, Jesse Condon, signing off.